0: Welcome to Focal Point, episode one, in which we will be discussing what to do when you have nowhere unique to take photos. We get off topic, review some photos, get back on topic and review a few more, and talk about this month's theme for the 52 Weeks Challenge. I'm your co-host, David Patton, here with Alex at omg.bees on Instagram, and our host, creator of Focal Point and the 52 Weeks Challenge, Chelsea London.
1: Hello, hello my friends thank you for coming and listening to us today we have some fun topics that we're going to discuss so before we get started let's just say hello to everybody so hi david and hello alex Hey, thank
2: how's you for it going? joining us hello chelsea
1: hi <laughs> all right well i'm happy to have you guys aboard today um david you're going to be here consistently and alex i'm sure we'll see you again here and there as our third voice but today our main topic this week will be something that I hear all the time from photography students, mentees, even just people who partake in the challenge in our Discord server, what have you. Um, but a lot of people run into the problem that they don't find any inspiration in their environment. So, whether that be their hometown or the place where they happen to be living, but they say things like, well, I don't live in Iceland. I can't go take beautiful landscape shots. So we're going to be talking about how to kind of approach photography in any location, how to change your mindset.
0: That That is actually really fantastic because I feel that topic. I'm mm-hmm. in kind of a small town that's heavily modernized. So it's prefab houses going up everywhere. And... If you can get out away from town, there's some farm and landscapes, but it's it's trees everywhere and it just it feels generic American. And so sometimes it's I'll get out there with a the camera and it's like I've I'm struggling to find a place to shoot that is gonna look any
2: different from anywhere else I've shot. From from my side of things, I feel like um I live in California, but all the all the best and most common views have been photographed to death already. And so I'm always trying to look for something different to look at and shoot. And I guess we'll we'll talk about all of that.
1: Um, After we go through our main topics, we're also going to do some feedback on one of our peers' photos. Um, Today, our submissions come from our friend Jeff. Um, And then because it's the beginning of the month, we will talk about the prompts for August.
0: And I think the topics for this month actually go really well with the topic for this podcast in being able to create that um, that scene you're looking for, even if it seems like you may have a boring place to work with, being able to start building that scene. So I'm definitely looking forward to discussing that.
1: So let's jump right into it. The first thing that I always hear um, from people is the, the, the big one is that it's boring where I live. And I think we all have that, regardless of where we live. You can live in the most dynamic places in the world, but if you've been there forever, you start to just get used to the way things are and you don't see maybe what makes it special all the time.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely see that a lot. And even in my, like my own hometown where I'm at, it's it looks fairly generic. And sometimes it really is hard to see, okay, what is unique about this place? What can I take a photo of that either hasn't been done before or something I haven't seen before, it's not looking unique. But I think that's where it's important to uh, look at more than just the big picture of the scene. Um, A lot of times the differences can be found in some of the smaller details. So even if it has, you, you are in a location that's been heavily photographed, somewhere that there's tourists all over the place, There's tons of these iconic landscapes or landmarks Um, being able to look into some of the smaller details that people aren't normally going to see and using that for your backdrop. And it doesn't matter with that, whether you're doing like landscape or street or even just portraiture, trying to find a location to fit the person in being able to look into the more detailed selections, uh, closer up to things um and sometimes yeah just avoiding the bigger uh landmarks or whatever but sometimes it's just a matter of finding something that just doesn't look like the perfect prefab uh generic whatever it is you're having a hard time overcoming um just looking around in the smaller areas for those little details sometimes taking a few steps away Um, and change, just changing up kind of the angles you're shooting at that type of thing to look and not necessarily force a different perspective, but to just find the little things that make that one spot unique.
1: The way you said that reminded me of, um, someone that we had in came to do an AMA in beginning of the year, Michael Yuan. Um, Michael has a project I will link below. Um, he has a project called the bridge reconstructed, which is, um, it's essentially images of the golden gate bridge and you hear that and you think, okay, but I've seen the golden gate bridge. I've seen photos of the golden gate bridge, but Michael did exactly what you were just talking about is he focused on the details. He focused on the angles. He focused on little parts of the bridge that maybe not everyone notices. Maybe not everyone sees. And then, especially if you've never been there. You would have no idea we're even part of the core of the bridge. So I think um, that's a really good call out is that details really can elevate and bring out the character of something that everybody already feels like they know and feels like they have seen it all.
2: To, to build upon that a little bit, I think if you're feeling like you're stuck in a boring place, you you actually have the opportunity to photograph it over time. And sort of investigated its changes. Sort of, um, maybe it's not beauty in the traditional in a sense, but you can show the world and show your audience that, hey, these are the things that I experienced in the last year, five years, ten years. This is how my home has changed, and this is how this this is like the life that people built around it.
1: Yeah, I think that that the same idea goes into these less than known and maybe considered banal areas um i think the one that the people that i hear say this the most are people who live in let's say small town midwestern america i'm just using that as an example i'm not calling it banal (laughs) that's just a side note because actually i the one like little anecdote that i always say when somebody says this to me is that you know i'm from the northeast i'm from new york i'm from a very i think specific type of upbringing and my husband went to school in North Dakota. He went to school in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I had been to all the 48 contiguous states. Um, and I had never been to North Dakota. So I was like, well, why don't we go for a weekend? You know, you can see from your college friends, whatever. And I was absolutely charmed by the whole place. <laughs> I thought that it was, you know, it was so far out from what I was used to and what I was brought in, up in that I just thought it was, completely, completely unique and charming to me. So the same way that people from Grand Forks go to, let's say, the suburbs of Boston, for instance, and are like, wow, this is totally different, this is totally unique, the same thing happens when someone from there goes to where you're from. Think about how somebody from a completely different space would feel seeing where you're from. They might see those little ticky-tacky houses and think, wow, that's You know, that's a cool repeating pattern. That's interesting to see. They might, you know, find the little bakeries in the, in the shop to be genuine and authentic or what have you. And it's not in a patronizing way. It's in a generally, actually appreciative way. And I think people don't think like that. They think where I'm from is boring. No one can tell me any differently.
0: And that's like, uh, some of... I don't do tons of landscape photography. I would love to get more into it. But just where I'm at, I always feel like I don't have any good landscapes to shoot. But I've posted a handful. And like even just I'll go over to my family's farm. They, they've they got horses. They've got all that type of stuff. So they've got land. So I'm always looking. It's like, well, this is just boring. There's trees everywhere. I, there's really no good compositions. But the other day, I took the time to really focus in and not worry about whether i thought it was anything unique but just the best i could capture it and i really like the shot that i came up with but then i posted it and shared it online and people who are not from the area like i'm getting comments from them saying how much they loved it how unique it was how amazing and to me that's kind of the everyday ordinary. I'm, I'm around it constantly. I've, I've seen that same scene a hundred times. I've shot it a hundred times. But because it's not something that people who aren't in the area see all the time, it's still unique and fresh to them. And so sometimes going after those boring and dull locations can actually pay off. What's just kind of the everyday normal for you can sometimes be all it really takes to get that unique perspective.
1: Yeah. And I think there's also a benefit of being from somewhere, um, for the people that say, you know, I've lived here my whole life. It's not interesting. If you've there your whole life, then you probably know other people there, you probably know different, um, businesses and so forth. And you can focus in on those aspects as well. Like I'm not really a landscape photographer. Um, doesn't really do it for me, so I don't really. Pay much mind to it, but when I think about when I think about photographers like William Eggleston or Alex Wolff, for example, um, they have done incredible work in these small towns, in these these little. I hate to say blase or normal because it, it's neither of those things, um, but that's how it's perceived by some. They've been able to show these dynamics and. Really genuine lifestyle images of these places that other people might not even think of. Um, I'm trying to think of this one, Alice Boss, like series, and he had like a picture of a cheerleader doing a toe touch that really sticks in my head. Um, And it sounds like it's not really anything because the cheerleader doing a toe touch, okay? But it's the way that he's able to bring this like authentic everyday like feeling of I don't know I don't know the best word for it I guess but I do <laughs> but feel like cap- it
0: yeah capturing that authentic moment
1: mm-hmm.
0: within a yeah. scene
1: I'm also thinking about we have one where it's just like a line of cowboys and they're all wearing cowboy hats <laughs> and I think it's like late at night and the cowboy has it kind of illuminated um and it's literally just a line of people but it's something that you know, is completely foreign to me. I've never really spent any real time somewhere where I'd see 25 men in cowboy hats. Um, So for me, it's a little bit of insight into how other people live. And I think no matter where you are, if you're able to give insight into how people live, you're going to be creating something that's worth creating. It's like a record of time. It's going to be something that shows life how it was when you lived it and that's i think really important
0: and that really is and that kind of i want to talk some a little bit about how to apply it to a few of the different kind of genres of photography because it's easy to apply for like street photography and landscape because those are the big ones where you are shooting the scene but um like for me i i do a lot of portraiture and i do a lot of equine and for portraitures like i can throw up a backdrop and get a nice high-end fashion whatever style um but i know a lot of people in my area do a lot of like family photography and stuff like that where sometimes it can be hard to find a good spot to be able to capture the family and have a compelling scene within that and I think that can be a little more of a challenge sometimes because you're a little more constrained about uh, where the people that you're photographing are going to be. You've got to make it easily accessible for them somewhere where they're relatively familiar and somewhere that's not going to make them uncomfortable being there. So sometimes that can be limiting, even then still kind of using some of these same principles of finding the smaller details in an area and not just going for the easy photo of the same thing that has always been shot.
1: I think that's really um, a really good call out. I mean, if we're talking about, um, let's talk about portraiture because a lot of people do lean into portraiture, whether it be because they need to pay their bills or they genuinely love it, what have you. Um, I think every pound, has and needs portrait photographers. So I think if we talk about some techniques to utilize the locations, um, I think that would be really useful. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, most of my portraiture have been in probably more interesting locations, like Prague uh, and Paris and so on, but I have done some in New Hampshire. I have, I went to high school in New Hampshire, I a family in New Hampshire. So I've done some there and I think the the main thing that you want to think about when you're maybe not necessarily in a location that speaks for itself and you want the portrait to have some kind of environment is to be looking for patterns, textures, and colors, I would say are the three items to focus on. So you don't have to blow out a whole background and have, you know, shoot at 1.2 and, and have just the eyes in focus and have a nice background. You can still use some environmental uh, locations, but to make your subject more um, more interesting or have the background work with you on the subject, focusing on those three things patterns textures and colors, but those three things, if you pay attention to those, you're going to end up with more interesting images, regardless of where you are.
0: Yeah. Being able to get that contrast. Like if the person you're taking a picture of, they've got like a really busy shirt, being able to have a more plain Mm -hmm. background, or if they've got a plain shirt, having a more textured and varied background can add just another layer of contrast in there.
1: There's always a reason you see a lot of like senior portraits on stairs with a handrail or against a brick wall or something. There's a reason those things are our go tos, right? They're not just cliche for the sake of being cliche. A brick wall adds texture, it adds leading lines, it adds a repeating pattern. Stairs with a handrail, bam, leading lines right to your subject and a little bit of character if it's a wrought iron, if it's Um, you know, a wooden handrail, it gives a little bit of a sense of what the environment is like. Um, So all of that helps to create a more interesting portrait. And it helps
0: get the person in the scene instead of being a person with a background. It's incorporating the scene into the portrait. It's making it all one vision, essentially. And that's one of the things that I think is really important with finding a good scene for portraiture if you're doing environmental portraiture stuff, is being able to incorporate that person into your scene. But being able to find areas that fit a person's personality, if they're on a sports team, maybe at the park on a running trail or something like that. And so you don't necessarily have to find the most interesting area.
1: So you said, one thing you said was that um, another... Issue that maybe people run into is that they arrive at a location, and maybe there's other photographers there. Maybe there's other people just living their lives there. Um, how do you combat that? What do you do to when you approach a situation like that?
0: There have been a few times. Like I've gone to public parks to do some photo shoots, and in that instance, when there's other people there, they're usually. I say usually because it's not always, but usually they're getting some of the more what I would call a generic background Mm -hmm. where it's just a far off distance. You can get the tons of bokeh in there and the background isn't a part of the picture. So what I do when I'm seeing that other there's a lot of other people there, I really make it a point to go to find the more detailed spots, whether it's up against a wall. Or mm-hmm. if everyone's shooting with this fountain as a backdrop or something, I may find a different way to shoot it, shoot it where the fountain, you only see part of that in the background. You're seeing a small detail of it as opposed to the whole thing. But I try to build a scene around the people rather than just focusing on having the backdrop. And some of the times that does mean I'm going to be moving around a lot to avoid where all the other people are uh just so i can get a cleaner scene to use
1: it's okay i'd like to kind of circle back (laughs) i hate that phrase but i'd like to circle back (laughs) on the idea um that we were talking about with shooting locations that you feel like have been done before um, or even just i think this actually is what i'm thinking actually kind of addresses both that and the It's boring here. We talked, I I not even like really broached the idea of light being the most important thing. Was that like, like the first thing you learn when you pick up a camera is light. Uh, But that being said, one of the challenges that I always ran into, um, you know, as somebody who travels around, doesn't necessarily spend a lot of time in like one place, um, or maybe doesn't have a lot of time to revisit locations sometimes i'll find myself somewhere that i really want to kind of document but it's 12 o'clock and the sun is beating down and man i don't have that beautiful golden light or um, everybody has their hands or you know it's just it's unpleasant in theory like um that harsh 12 o'clock shadow i think paying attention to the light and the shadows is something that's always going to help you so I'm going to say this, but we'll come back to it, but I'm thinking in particular, Alice recently shared a photo, but I don't know how recent my time frame is way off, but Alice shared a photo from a trip to New York in Grand Central Terminal. Um, if you had been there, if you've been there, you know, that, um, on the sides, there's staircases, inside windows, people occasionally walk by because of offices and so forth. And Alice shared a photo of somebody walking by in there. And what Alice did, which um, I think was a clever way of utilizing, probably some really terrible light. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Alice, is Alice needed a silhouetted shot.
2: Yeah. So when I when I saw the scene, um, I, you were right. It's like completely dark in there. The light's uh, very not flat, but it's not the sort of golden, um, landscapey light that I'm more used to. But what drew me to the scene initially was um how similar the arched windows were to like a, a big church or a big cathedral. And I thought it was really funny to me that looking down from them where where the altar might sit, you've got this big Apple logo and it's just people going to the <laughs> Apple store. From there, it was a matter of like building out the scene of like, okay, well, there's this huge uh blank textured light source directly in the middle. What can I do to uh, like frame it or um, do something about it so that it's not quite as boring. And that's when I started seeing like groups of people walk by. And so from there, it was it was just a matter of waiting for the right person singular to walk by because I found that people were typically walking in groups of two, a uh, two and three. And so the silhouette looked really wonky with like multiple arms and legs just sticking out random <laughs> angles. When you're out in the
1: day and you can't control the light, and you have these harsh shadows. I think using them um, to create angles. So if you're a street photographer, silhouettes, I think, are a nice way to show an environment, show human movement, and also keep anonymity, if that's important to you as a street photographer. Um, but it also can create dynamic angles, like 45-degree angles or what have you, based, um, shadows from other things. So there's some other just a little idea of Things you can do to bring something unique to an image that doesn't really matter where you are.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And um, you mentioned something earlier about uh, shooting in like harsh midday sun. And mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed that like, uh, as I've been doing more and more street photography, I've actually really liked going out in the midday sort of time frame. not quite so much in the summer because the sun is very much overhead, but in the <laughs> winter and sort of spring, Um, just because it's noon, like the the sun is still angled, so you can still find loads and loads of like fun shadows and especially like sharply angled ones.
1: Yeah. I think it also gives you something to focus on. Like a lot of times people go out and they don't really have something in mind and they end up wandering around aimlessly and then maybe coming back feeling disappointed. Um, and one thing, and I think this is going to be a whole other episode, but I think there's something in there when we're talking about constrained shooting, The idea that you're focused in on something specific when you go out. It might not be I'm going to X, Y, and Z location to get X, Y, and Z shot. It might be something similar, just something as simple as, I'm going out at noon. I know there's going to be harsh shadows. So let me look at those, like let me pay attention to those and see what I come up with.
0: And that's something I've started doing a lot more as well is shooting more midday because partly if I'm gonna go Anywhere public doing shots there, I don't have to worry about as many other photographers being out because they're all holding out for golden hour. So by avoiding that, I get a lot more of the space to myself. Um, But it's gotten to be something where I've actually really started being able to work with it better and see just how valuable it can be. Because you can use that harder contrast in the lighting to make the shot you you can use that to make the contrast in the shot rather than just focusing on okay i want the super soft light and the nice blurry background and it it just gives you something unique to work with even when you're in the same locations that you've shot before and that everyone else has shot before it's a different way of looking at it it's just a unique perspective
1: yeah, exactly. That's what the big thing is, it's a unique perspective because it's your perspective. Um, I want to come back to that in a second. I just wanted to kind of go back to the idea of the 12 o'clock light. Um, the opposite of the focusing on the shadows with the 12 o'clock light is the flatness that it creates. Um, so I just shared a photo that I took in London and um, this was very harsh, harsh sunlight. And you'll see there's absolutely no shadows here at all. And because of that, what it did was it took this is a picture of an ice cream truck, a Rolls Royce ice cream truck, um, because London. But it shot at a direct angle to the corner of the truck. But it looks like it's completely flat. And that's because there's absolutely no shadows past at all. So the curvature is directly in the middle of the image but it's not there. So it kind of creates this almost, I don't know if it's like uncomfortable or uncanny or something just seems a little bit weird about it, but it makes it a little bit more interesting and it kind of draws your eye back and forth and back into the middle. And then it's a little bit like jittery. So one thing that I'll probably, you'll probably hear a lot in this podcast is me talking about the way the eye moves and how you're drawing the eye one way or another And in this picture, because the ice cream truck is sheer white, you're kind of drawn to this empty space of white, which maybe makes it a little bit odd and a little feel a little bit off, um, which is, in some cases, the intense. That's just another way that you can use that direct harsh light. You don't always have to be doing silhouettes. You don't always have to be doing harsh shadows. Sometimes the flat light works in your favor
2: as well. I think you're right. I think it's... The, the slight uncomfortableness of like how bright it is really works in its favor because, you know, it's, we know it's hot in, in the summer. We know how, how nice it is to get an ice cream and how much fun it is just like in general to get an ice cream from an ice cream truck. And so I think it works. It like it, because of the way that my eye avoids all the wants to avoid all the bright places, it goes directly to the ice cream in somebody's hand. And it's that, it's that moment where, um, uh, you know, they receive it from the person working behind the the counter. It's nice. I like it.
1: So with all that being said about what we can do to kind of utilize what we have available to us to create new and dynamic images, um, I think this is like such a large topic that there will probably be other thoughts and questions that will arise that we just haven't touched on yet. With that said, um, I invite everyone to come into the Discord or even just leave comments here where you can, wherever you're listening to this um, with your thoughts. And if you have any advice that we didn't think of and that you want to share, we would be really appreciative to share it with anyone else. And in the meanwhile, we're going to kind of move into the portion where we're going to look at one of our participants' photos and talk about them and give some feedback. So today, Our photos come from our good friend Jeff Markovitz. Jeff has been partaking in the 52 Week Challenge for a few years now. Um, He was also, this is just a disclaimer, he was also one of my mentees for a couple of years. So I worked very closely with Jeff um, over the span of a couple of years. So I'm interested to see and to look at his images together. The first one that shows up is in Montreal, um, a woman and a man on a subway platform. So I'll start by describing it for those who don't feel like looking, I guess the best way to say that. I'll describe it the best I can. So in this picture, this is on the Montreal uh, Metro, and Jeff is shooting down the platform. There's about a 45-degree angle um, of the lights, the overhead lights, and the yellow don't stand here. Uh, line that we find on Metro's. There's a tall woman in the foreground um, sitting kind of standing kind of akimbo, looking at her phone, um, and then there's a man in the midground, also in a similar position looking at his phone. There's a couple people kind of sitting in the background, and then there's if you look really carefully, there's actually a small figure in the far background basically right between the woman's legs. There's also a Really pleasing backlight on the woman um, hitting her on her arms and her legs and her hair, creating kind of a key light behind her. So that's just a visual description.
2: Um, let's go with Alice. So, okay, I'll, I think I like the picture. I think that there are f- a few things that if I were to, if like the opportunity arose to shoot it again, I might do differently, or I would suggest for Jeff. And so we've got like the pair of leading lines of the overhead lights and the yellow strip um, pointing into the, you know, into the woman's thigh. And the, the woman's got like tattoos and stuff. It's pretty cool. But uh, directly on top of that, there's like this bright green um, sign, like info sign that's lit up. And so I think maybe like a half step to the right to have the woman's body block that uh, would eliminate one of the distractions that I see. Otherwise, like I, one of the things I really love about this picture, right, is the size difference, uh, between the woman in the closest foreground to the man scratching his head, right, on, right on the edge of the platform, to the little tiny figure, like way in the background between the woman's legs. What I'm not super sure about in the in terms of like the relationship between the three is there's also a woman sitting on a bench to the right of the tall woman in the foreground, and so. I don't think there's anything that can be done in the moment to like change that necessarily but I think this would have been a much like maybe like much more easy to digest a picture if it was just a matter of like looking from the background to the foreground of these people who are waiting for a train I think capturing that moment where it just happens to be the little tiny person way in the way in the background is really interesting because that's also where the two leading lines point to
1: I wonder if that half step to the right which i agree with for the sake of the sign i wonder if that would also open up the small figure in the back as well as cutting out some of the extraneous figures on the right because there is the woman sitting um she is the most noticeable of those on the far right but then there's also a man in a white t-shirt that stands out. Everyone else is in dark clothing and they kind of just melt into the background. So I don't think that they would be like a really big deal. Um, and I don't necessarily think that she's a really big deal, but it does kind of, if we're thinking about what Alex has said about those three figures really be what makes the image dynamic, um, having them be hidden or at least tucked away a little bit more would enhance the woman and the fact that she, I, she seems like she's really tall. Um, so that might be a optical illusion, but it's a good one in this case because she takes up an enormous amount of the frame and then, um, from top to bottom and then the man in the middle, uh, seems like average size and then the person in the back is teeny, teeny tiny. So it is kind of an interesting three step program, um, program isn't the right word, but three step
2: um imagery. I wonder if like if this was framed horizontally so that the like the woman's upper body is basically cut off and like, you know, um adjust the leading lines so that it's it's still properly in frame and stuff. I think hiding the woman's upper body would go a long way to like, like faking faking her size. And so these the size difference between her and the man on the edge. And, like, the tiny figure in the background is even more exaggerated just because we can't, like, it's it's left to our imagination.
1: I just did that crop just in preview, so really messily. Um, and I actually, like, love it. I think it A, it gives some anonymity to the woman, um, which I, I like a lot in street photography because it could be anybody. Um, but it does exactly what you anticipated it did. I know that this is not exactly what you meant. You meant shooting it in um landscapes, but if we're playing around with what we've got, I think it actually works really well. It's kind of awkward and uncomfortable. And I I'm a sucker for that. I'm sorry. I'm a sucker but, for awkward yeah, and uncomfortable. Uh, I, but I, I think, think it also too.
0: works. I like of, the crop. Yeah. I like it too. Making that, yeah. that kind of awkward and uncomfortable, it also goes along well with it's a lot of warmer tones in an underground area where you typically think of cooler tones. Um, especially where you've got the cross leading lines of the the angles between the woman in the foreground the man behind her where that perspective line is leading one way but then you've got the tunnel that's leading the other way and they're crossing it also kind of adds to that um, slightly jarring not necessarily chaotic but the uh, perfectly imperfect type of thing where it's things don't like quite line up, but it
2: does so in a visually pleasing way. Yeah, one last little thought I had about this picture is, like, it's just, it's the lighting on the back of her legs is just so important here because it it frames the figure in the background much, much more clearly. It's, like, if, if this was a flat light, I don't think we could have done any of the things that we were talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That, that back leg is just, I think, the star... Uh, Along with the figures, obviously, but it it really does a lot for the subject.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I do think it shows a really good job of timing with the photos, of catching that moment at just the right time. It to me, it shows that it it was a lot more intentional than just "I'm going to snap a picture down the train tunnel," and more of an intentional, focused composition.
1: I think that's a great place to end the feedback. (laughs) <laughs> that is a nice, well-rounded uh, callback <laughs> to our original topic, so kudos, kudos. Um, so why don't we start to, to kind of finish up where we are, and I want to finish just talking about the, the prompts for this month. Um, I'll quickly read through the headers of them, and then the descriptions will be below as well if you haven't seen them yet, but this month's is focused on mise-en-scene. Mise-en-scene is just basically a pretentious way of saying everything that you can see in a frame. Um, it comes from film, but it's also used in theater and photography as well. For those who have ever taken a workshop with me, you know I went to film school, so I tend to reference film stuff maybe more than I should. Uh, it's a, I think, diplomatic way of saying it. But yeah, so uh, August is all mise-en-scene. Um, It's broken down, Miso Plan is broken down into various categories. So I use that as our framework for the images for this month. Um, So the first one, again, this is not in any specific order, but we have settings, is one, decor, lighting, depth of space. And then we have a fifth cost this month, which is not a requirement, but a, I think, important practice. Because it is something I think most people aspire to be able to do. And that's personal style and aesthetics. So what thoughts or questions do you guys have about the prompt this month?
0: My main thoughts on this are... It it may be challenging for some people just trying to tie these all together. But Mm -hmm. uh, what I think about that is this is where planning in a photo shoot can really shine Hmm. instead of just going out and I'm going to go take pictures of this of whatever style it is you shoot. But it's instead of doing that, it's going out with intention. You have a plan, you have a scene in mind you want to get and then working to make what you shoot match kind of the concept you had in your head even if it's something as simple for like setting as instead of just going to a location, but looking more detailed, really paying attention to what you're shooting, um, getting rid of any distracting elements, possibly even bringing in some things that will help build a scene that you're trying to show off and make it fit your theme a little better. And so while I think this is maybe one of the more challenging, uh, set of prompts i think it's also one of the most helpful because if you can get in that habit of planning out it can make doing future shoots so much easier because you've got a habit going of planning being intentional with the shutter you want to be ahead of the scene not have the scene be ahead of you
1: that should be on a t-shirt i think (laughs) (laughs) it on a pillow maybe that will be in some future merch (laughs) um, <laughs> write that quote down. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I just want to give some insight as to why I decided that this month they should all be worked together as a photo story. Um, I personally, I really think that photo stories are special. I think that they, you know it's it's one thing to have a postcard image. It's another thing to have three images that showcase. Um, the entire experience. Um, this is something that I talk about in my theme, like a photographer workshop uh, that we spent quite a bit of time on this um, and how we can kind of create these photo stories in order to be a visual storyteller. Um, so the reason that I kind of focused this month specifically on this is that these elements are so broad in their generic scope setting setting can mean anything you know the core can be anything it i was trying to be a little bit lenient and give you a little bit more space to find something cohesive between the four or five images that you end up producing um because they're not necessarily going to happen they almost shouldn't happen at the same time in the same place um so you should be able to have this broad space that allows you to find something, whether it be the lighting or a color. It it can be something so simple. Um, I might not be speaking to the right crowd right now, but I hear Tim Gunn in my head um, in Project Runway saying, okay, this is not a cohesive collection. This is a cohesive collection. This This collection is cohesive because of the texture that I see in each article of clothing. Um, is being mirrored or being brought in here or there. The same goes with color. Um, I think it's important to look at different mediums, uh, different media to bring it back to photography because it kind of allows you to look at everything a little bit differently and add some new inspiration. So, yes, when I think about cohesion, I'm just hearing Tim Gunn in my head. So, if there's any probably going white fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Please back me up on that, so I don't sound like I'm talking to myself
0: right now it, it um, absolutely does work and <laughs> like thinking in in terms of like photography and art in general, how you display a work, not every piece necessarily needs to be an individual superstar magazine cover photo, but when you have a series of pictures that work together and complement each other and fit the same feeling the same tone it can really bring them together as one cohesive piece
2: yeah so one of the struggles i'm having with the props this month is that um lighting in particular and using more than available light i'm i'm not seeing how i would fit that into the rest of what i'm doing so The outline of what I'm doing for the for the four or five pictures is I'm going to New York in a couple of weeks. I'm probably going to shoot a bunch of street, and so things like setting and decor and depth of space sort of come a little bit naturally. Although, um, although like uh, actually arranging um, props and settings and that kind of thing isn't going to happen. But lighting, uh, lighting is like something that I want to get your thoughts on because I guess like some genres of photography. Rely on available light far more than others. For example, it—I don't see how anybody would shoot a landscape with um, with like light sources that they're bringing of their own. Uh, so, what do you have in terms of thoughts for maybe some of the other photographers in our challenge that are struggling with that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the reason that I'm asking that people manipulate light creatively is because i know that a lot of our participants work in genres or in general just focus on relying on available light and i I see it as a way to challenge that a little bit that being said when i say manipulate light creatively and strategically i don't necessarily mean using artificial light and setting up light, or even reflectors, for instance. So if you're in the city and you're doing street shots, you can, you can still manipulate the available light by looking for how it's bouncing off of windows of cars, for instance, shops, um, reflections that are being made because of the light, um, even If you see like a neon light, maybe that neon light is creating um, a cast onto the street or onto people walking by. And you're not necessarily hands-on manipulating it, but you are making decisions in when you shoot a photo to maybe get a person walking through that like reflective blue, let's say neon light, um, and shooting at a time where it creates kind of an interesting cast on something. So let's not take the idea of manipulating light too literally here. Um, It's just about getting people to think about... Okay, let me start that thought again. You don't have to crop this, but let me start that thought again, because if you are the kind of person who wants to get some light and manipulate it, please do, because that's totally in the spirit of this as well. But if you are in a situation like Alex, um, you're either doing street or you're doing landscape and you necessarily don't necessarily want to be bringing flashes and reflectors and all that to manipulate whatever light you can focus on how you can use the surroundings around you to change the light as it is. If it means reflecting it off of a body of water, um, you're not physically reflecting it, but you are focusing on it and setting your composition in a way where that is being highlighted. I think that's completely in the spirit of it.
2: It sounds like what you're saying is um, to go a step beyond just having, for example, sunlight like the scene, but also look for interesting ways that the light is interacting with the environment. And to go back on to go back to the point that you keep harping on, it's it's the intentionality of how we use that reflective light or how we use that um, not artificial, but like not necessarily natural lighting to highlight our subjects, for example.
1: Yeah, you're making choices. Make those choices with the lighting in mind in a way where maybe it's something that isn't just, it's there, you know, it's there, yes is it also reflecting is it also creating shadows is it also casting light color is it also um beaming into a store shot so a storefront where you see something inside the store that you wouldn't have been able to see without it that kind of thing and and then focus compose and take the shot at a specific intentionally soft time because of the light Great. Well, I'm actually very looking forward to seeing what people come up with. Um, I just like saying these awesome, so I think that helps, but I do, I do think it's a, a fun thing to keep in mind that I think a lot of photographers maybe A, aren't familiar with, or B, if they are, don't pay attention to it, or C, it seems like these are really obvious, so why do we need a fancy French term for it? So I do like bringing attention to it for those reasons.
0: It's definitely a little different from the usual because it is more of a comprehensive theme that interacts with the rest of the themes for the month as well. And so I'm I'm excited. I'm looking forward.
1: So I'd like to thank Alex. Uh, you can find him on Instagram as omg.bees. Like, oh my God, bees. Um, so you can find him there. and <laughs> see his beautiful work. Um, so I want to thank you for coming and lending your thoughts and perspective. Um, I also want to thank David for getting us going on our first podcast, our first episode. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out and what we're able to do. I also want to apologize for any children sounds You may have heard it in the background. Um, I do have a toddler. This is all real life. so <laughs> I'm not in a I'm not in a soundproof room, as you can imagine. So this is is how we are here at Focal Point. We are very, this is real life here. So maybe that's our selling point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you guys for listening. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to pay attention to our thoughts. Um, If you have any thoughts, send them our way in the comments. Um, and join our discord, you know, the more people we get chatting in the discord, the more thoughtful these conversations can be because we can use that to kind of play off of, and, and learn where we can express ourselves clearer or bring attention to different ideas. So please join us over there. We have regular voice chats as well. So it's a a great place to meet other photographers all over the world of different backgrounds and genres. That's my really long-winded finale. And you can leave (laughs) that as is, David.
2: (laughs) You're just missing the old like, comment, and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: yes. (laughs) This episode was brought to you by, what do I have? I have Kozel Beer. Um, It is a ghost. Kozel means ghost in Czech. They did not sponsor it with any money, but I am drinking one right now. So I think that counts as... Sponsorship, so like and (laughs) subscribe.